And I'd like to pray for the word and pray for the speaker of the word so that after this, uh, Reverend Majid will just come and take over. We want to thank you again, our God, for such an opportunity to sit at your feet and listen to you speak into our lives. Thank you for your word, Lord. We pray, Father, that as we just interact with you in this session, Lord, would you minister to our needs, to each and every one of us. Thank you for your servant, Reverend Majid. As he brings your word to us, Lord, we pray that would you continue to use him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 4 from verse 10 to 23. I rejoice in the Lord <coughs> greatly that now at length you have reviewed your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me but you had no opportunity. Know that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be contented. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to be, to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthened me. Yet it was kind of, of you to share my, my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs uh, once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increase that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every, every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greeting every, greet, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Kaiser, Kaiser's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, uh, be with your spirit. And that's the word of God. And then thereafter, Reverend Majid will bring the word of God to us. Jesus is mine. Thank you, Lord, for that privilege that by your grace we be called your children. We bless you. We surrender ourselves to you, Lord, this morning. My Lord, you speak to us. Not just for the sake of information, but Lord, for the sake of transformation. So that, Lord, our walk with you is made stronger. So, Lord, I pray by your grace may the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be accepted to you and you alone who is rock and my redeemer in Jesus name we pray Amen. in Jesus name we pray
Amen. Kindly take your seats. Thank you very much. And so today we come to the end of the series that we've been having from the book of Philippians. When we started the book of Philippians at the beginning of the year, I said that as you look at the book of Philippians, there are certain things that come out in this book. For example, it's in this book that you don't see a lot of quotations from the Old Testament. And that primarily talks about the audience that Paul had when he was writing to the Philippians. Because they did not have so much background of the Jewish culture. So he wanted to be in that place that yes, his message will be accepted. But we also said, as, but also, this was written by Paul, and Paul was, in a sense, uh, a prisoner. Maybe not a prisoner in the exact terms that we know, but somehow like a house arrest. And then, one of those things that you see as the characteristic of this book is that you find that regardless of those difficult circumstances, one word that comes out so much is about the word joy or rejoice. As a matter of fact, about 16 times you read in this book about joy and rejoice. What in essence Paul is saying is that regardless of where you are, if Jesus be at the center of your life, circumstances will come and go. But at the same time, they may be difficult, but by God's grace, we can have a smile on our faces. Almost saying that, yes, joy comes from deep inside of us, and it's not dependent on the circumstances. Happiness depends on circumstances. If someone steps on your toe today, you may be sad. But with joy, it is much deeper than the surface. The other characteristic that we saw that is in this book that is key is about humility. When you go to chapter 2, Paul talks about that we should be in that place that we imitate the humility of Jesus Christ himself. That Jesus Christ, yes, he was God, but he left the heavenly glories to consider to come down, taking the very nature of a servant, so that he can identify with us, so that he can identify with you, so that he can identify with me, to the very point that even the nature in which he was born is one of the most, most simple ways. So you see a lot of message, a lot of encouragement about humility in this book. Of course, in this book, Paul talks about being able to press on he says in, in chapter 3 that not that I've already arrived yet, but I continue to press on towards that mark of the high calling. And the encouragement that we have, none of us has arrived. We cannot say that, yes, I am this superman, this super so-and-so. None of us has arrived. We always need to come with humility knowing that there is that extra mile that we can go. Otherwise, if we say that we've arrived, then we have no business to be on this earth. It basically means that maybe rapture should come and therefore we are ready for heaven. 
But God still wants us to influence the world. Like that song that you are singing. Yes, we are salt of the earth. We are light of the earth. We can always make a difference, not just in our lives, but also on the lives, in the lives of those people that are around us. And therefore, Paul says, please do not give up, even when sometimes it's difficult. Continue to press on. And even when you think that you are comfortable, we have not reached the limit yet. Continue to press on towards the goal that we've been called for. Of course, when you come to chapter 4, uh, verse, uh, the, the earlier chapter 4, verse 1 to 9 that we looked at last week, he says, please do not be anxious about anything. When God is on the throne, have your eyes fixed on Jesus. Of course, when you come to this one that you are looking at today, he talks about when we have God, we can do all things through Jesus Christ that gives us strength. It is outstanding as the New Testament letter of joy. And of course, I have said the word joy or its relative rejoice is mentioned or occurs no less than 16 times. This book contains one of the most profound, as I've said, Christological passages, understanding who Jesus Christ is, understanding why Jesus Christ came, and that he did in humility. In our study today, as we try to conclude the book, we come to the point where Paul mentions the occasions which prompted maybe his writing of this letter. In these verses, we find an expression of Paul's gratitude. It's almost, some of our versions, it, it's almost entitled like a thank you note. He says, thank you for what you have done. That is the bottom line what I see here between verse 10 to verse 23. In these concluding verses, there are three things that I want us to take note of. Three things that I would want us to emphasize today. Number one is the concern for Paul by the Philippians. Number one, the concern for Paul by the Philippians. Number two, the contentment of Paul. The contentment of Paul. And number three, and then we'll be done, is the convictions of Paul. The convictions of Paul. Let's look at the concern for Paul by the Philippians. He reads, let me read there. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your what? Your? No, 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 we are not together. Can we read it together? He says, can we read it together? I? Now, this is a church that you could not doubt their concern for Paul. Now, what is concern? Concern is to show genuine care. Genuine compassion for someone. Concern is in that place that you want the best for someone. And it's not just what you say, but you show it by your action. So in verse 10, Paul says, remember that word rejoice? Okay, many, at least 16 times. I rejoice greatly, not anywhere else, but in the Lord. Almost saying that because it's the law that has enabled me to rejoice, but it's also the law that has enabled you to do what you are doing to me. And why was he rejoicing? Because 
at last you renewed. In other words, this concern was always there. And it looks like they were trying to show it and the opportunity was not presenting itself. And sometimes when the opportunity is not presenting itself, you may tend to forget of that concern. And Paul says that you have now renewed it. The opportunity had not come. But now I can see that yes, the opportunity has presented itself. And I see that yes, you have actualized. If you go to verse 14, yet it was good, verse 14 to 18, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Now, they, they wanted to show Paul that we are feeling with you. They wanted to show Paul that we see where you are. They wanted to show Paul that, yes, Paul, we care. We have a genuine concern for you. And that concern is because Paul was in troubles. And I want us to know that the troubles that Paul was in is not because he had done something wrong. It's not because he was a sinner. It's not because of his own misgivings. The problem that Paul had is that Paul was being persecuted by the authorities of the day. And so he says, yet it was good for you because now they shared with him in his troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. It looks like there's a time that Paul had some needs. It looks like there's a time that Paul had some concerns. And in all Macedonia, it was a region of several churches. There is not one, there is not a single church that showed any interest apart from the Philippians. And that's why he mentions, because of that concern. Verse 16, he says, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Verse 17, not that I desire or I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to you. I have received full payment and have more than enough. That's what Paul said. The bottom line here is that clearly they demonstrated an ongoing. It was not a one-time showing of desire to help, but it was an ongoing support and an ongoing concern for Paul. When Paul first departed from Macedonia, they shared with him. Even before leaving Macedonia, while in Thessalonica, they sent aid on several occasions to him. Now at last, while in Rome, in this house arrest or house prison, they sent a gift by the hands of a gentleman called Epaphroditus. They were almost pursue, pursuing opportunity to show that, Paul, we care for you. What a wonderful picture of fellowship between a church and the leaders. The kind that ought to exist today. That we, as a congregation, show concern to those that the Lord has given opportunity to lead us. But also not just that, but as a congregation, we show concern, desire, and 
interest and enthusiasm to the work of God. And that is what picture that I see the Philippians showing here. How I pray that this will be common today. Where churches and their leaders and perhaps pastors, they continue to maintain their fellowship in the gospel of Christ as the need calls for it. Long maybe after the preacher is gone. And it's interesting that yes, I am here on the way as an exit. Or still within the larger Nairobi Baptist Church. But that long after some of those transitions have taken place, that the relationship continues. That the care continues. And that this relationship is a two-way thing. Because once you have relationships, they cannot be wished away. How sad that in many cases today, pastors leave a congregation in such a way that there is no desire to even continue in fellowship. And I pray that as we go along, not just for me, but whichever leaders, whichever pastors, whichever persons that are here, that we will show genuine care, genuine concern for them, but also for one another. That genuine care should also be seen in our fellowship. And I want to continue to thank you, church. I want to thank you so much. The way we care for one another in our fellowships. I have seen how close we are. I have seen the support that we give one another when we are in those difficult circumstances. And may the Lord continue because that is what a church is. That we show genuine care. We show genuine concern for those of us that, yes, we are in this fellowship. But also as we do that apart from the fellowship, that we do it for those that are in leadership position. And so I see that Paul acknowledges that the Philippian church, they showed genuine concern. The second thing that I see is Paul's contentment. What is contentment? Contentment is being at peace with whatever we have, whoever we are, however much, however little. Knowing very well that who we are, whatever we are, is all by the grace of God. And Paul says it. If you go to verse, uh, verse uh, 11, I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Verse 12 he says, I know what it is to be in need. And I also know what it is to have plenty. Remember when you go to chapter 3. Paul had talked and he was, he was saying who he was. He was saying I was a Pharisee of a Pharisee. If you are looking for Jews, I was one of them. Perhaps even circumcised on the seventh. So I was almost like the chief Jew. But all that, he says, I consider that not gain. I consider that all loss, but only for the sake of the gospel. So he says, wherever I am, I have learned, I have gathered the courage to be able to say, God, what I have, whether plenty, whether in need, 
to know that everything that I have, it's by the grace. So I am at peace. I am satisfied. The challenge that I see today is this in the life of Christians and perhaps in the lives of even ministers. Paul says, whether plenty, whether not so plenty, please learn to accept wherever we are because it is indeed by the grace of God. His expressions of thanks was not to hint that he was in great need as you've seen that. Paul, he was in the place that he had been in both extremes. But he says, I have learned to be at peace. I have learned to be satisfied. So his expressions of thanks was not to hint that he was in great need. For he was quite content with the state or condition he found himself in. As a matter of fact, the opposite, therefore, of contentment is covetousness. And so he says, I have learned to be content. This contentment was something he had learned I, way before. Remember, even in chapter 1, verse 21, there he says that for me to live is Christ. And to die, he says, is gain. He was in a place that he had settled everything. That yes, whatever I am, whatever I have as well, it's all by the grace of God. What was the key to Paul's contentment? In verse 13 there, you see him saying this. That yes, in verse 13, he says that everything that I have is just as I have been given by Jesus Christ. And he says, whether in plenty or in need, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So, the source, the key to Paul's contentment is to put Jesus at the center. And so he expresses that Jesus is the one that gives strength. Jesus is the one who enabled him to be content whether full or hungry. Who enabled him to be content whether abounding or in need. I have learned that I can do everything through Jesus who gives me strength. Part of his strength from the Lord may have been the proper perspective likely received from the Lord. And therefore he says one of those is the verse that I've quoted as Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 to 24, where he says that for me to live is Christ, and even if I die, to die is gain. I ultimately saying because if I know Jesus Christ, and if I live for Jesus Christ, I know that even if I die, I gain the whole world because ultimately I am going to be with my maker. The proper perspective about the true necessities of life is key. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 8 to 10. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing in the world and we can take nothing out of the world. You know what Paul is saying is this. At the end of the day, whether rich whether kings, whether just a servant, you know, 
when we are being buried, <laughs> we will end up in the same place. Is that true? And therefore, that's what he's saying here. As he's telling Timothy, for we brought nothing into this world. And we can take nothing into this world. Out of this world. Look at the way sometimes we beat ourselves. Covetousness. And this, I believe, is one of the ills that face our society today. This is one of those things that even is facing the church. As the church, as you go outside there, you hear so much about prosperity. Which is not necessarily bad. But it's a prosperity that wants to take shortcut. If we work hard with our hands and God blesses us, God, of course, will bless the works of our hands. But I see in the world today, you want quick fix things. Name it and claim it. Paul says, please, this contentment, be at peace where you are. Don't beat yourself so much regardless of where you are. And so he continued to tell Timothy in 1 Timothy, but if we have food and we have clothing, we will be content with that and we need to be content with that. Those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and into destruction. For the love of money, he says, the love of money, not necessarily. Money can be a servant, but if you are not careful and the love of money comes into our lives, money therefore can be a master. And therefore he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many graves. Now, we do not have to go anywhere far. We know what is happening even in our nation today. Even this burial that was happening yesterday of this young man that was killed. If you look at it, it is all surrounded without knowing what happened, whatever, but we know we can all agree that the young man was murdered. If you look at it, it's either someone wanted to make money or someone wanted to protect something. The love of that, that covetousness, Paul says, be in the place that you will be comfortable with all the Lord has blessed you. I have always wondered that in perhaps in African countries, we talk of perhaps the country that has the poverty levels are very low. And yet in this same country, people have hundreds of thousands of acres. You wonder what will someone do with hundreds of thousands of acres? I heard of a politician that's one of those that has thousands and thousands of acres. And you know, it was close to 70,000 to maybe 100,000. If you're talking of that huge land, it actually can stretch from here to maybe beyond thicker. So you can imagine, and he had, he had animals, cows. So you can imagine the stress that you go through when you want to know where your cows are. <laughs> at one point they may be here, at another time they may be roaming in thicker. And yet, those are the evils that face our society. If you are a child of God, what Paul is encouraging us, please be contented. 
And if at all you are to prosper, please let it be out of your own hard work. Let it be out of genuine sweat. Let it be out of hard work and the disciplines that causes us to be able to create and eventually when we do, so that it can be a blessing to others. Because again, remember he had said, we bring nothing into this world and at the time of departure, imagine you've been just holding, holding, holding. And when the time comes, you leave it all. I heard of this person who was very wealthy. And this person who was very wealthy, he said, for me, I have worked so hard for all my wealth. When I die, I want you to liquidate all the shares, convert all my property into cash, and I want to be buried with my money. And they said, fine, that is okay. That is very well. Then his family, what they said, yes, we will do so, but we will bury you with a post-dated check. <laughs> Life can be meaningless when we do not have our perspective right. A story is told of a pilot that was flying plus maybe around Mount Kenya and looking at the rivers meandering, meandering around the mountain part of this nation. And every time that he was flying, he would look down at those rivers with almost some sort of attachment with almost some sort of attachment. One day, the co-pilot asked him, why is it that when we are passing here, almost you come to a standstill looking down with such a sense of attachment? And the pilot said, you know, I grew up down there. And when I was younger, I used to go and fish down there. And I used to look up and look at the aeroplanes and I used to say how wish I wish one day I'll be able to fly a plane like those but then he says now that I am flying the planes how I wish that one day I'll go back and fish down there sometimes we want to be there and when we are there we also want to be down it is always tempting to think that Others have it better than we do. And that if we just had a little more, everything will be fine. But contentment cannot be achieved by increasing possessions. Nothing will ever be enough. Contentment comes if we know who our God is. And we are at peace with our God. Otherwise, the world will drive you. I wonder... I think the latest iPhone is iPhone 11 Pro. Let me ask, how superior is that iPhone the latest than just the previous one? Is there anything much more you are able to do with this new one if you compare it with the previous one? Is there anything? Will your life be able to continue even with a kabambe? Is it possible? The world is pushing us 
to desire more and more and more and more. And if you are not careful, we may just be chasing one thing after the other after the other. You will never find your satisfaction. We will never find our true peace outside of God. And Paul says, please learn to be contented. Please learn to be contented. I think it's Paul, uh, is it Paul or Luke also says that until we come to that place that we realize that in him we live and in him we move and in him we have our being. We will be chasing everything else. And all that is just like chasing after the wind. There's a great lesson that I have learned with one of the richest men in the world. I don't know about his faith, but there is a lesson that I've learned from him. He's probably the second or the third richest person in the world today. And he's only that number three or two because he's donated quite a bit to the number one richest in the world. That person has lived in the same house <laughs> since the 60s and is comfortable. Please go check that man out. He's called Warren Buffett. The same house. He could buy a fortune, but he's learned to be content. One of those in Kenya, which probably also an Indian, one of the wealthiest men in this nation. I was told that the guy actually just has about six suits. <laughs> His name is called Manu Chandaria. May the Lord help us to pursue that art of contentment. Because that contentment, it only comes when we are settled in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I have been on both extremes. Take this lesson from me. That if God is not at the center, whether you have the whole world, there will be still emptiness. I have seen some of the most empty people are people that own almost like the whole world. But I've also seen some of the most people, uh, peaceful people. They live in the slums. I've also seen some of the most uh, humble people who live in the slums. And they're the most frustrated. So the both extremes are true. I've also seen some of the most wealthiest people. That are very much at peace. The constant thread is let Jesus be at the center. And therefore Paul says this. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know that it is not, it is, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. And that secret is this. I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. Number one, the genuine care and concern. Number two is contentment. Most of the atrocities that we see committed in the world today, it's because of the competition of men. And that competition normally 
It's around showing how strong we are, showing how wealthy we are. And so you see killings taking place. Our ideas on leadership is actually warped because leadership is, a power, is, is, is supposed to be about serving others. But in this continent, leadership is about amassing and amassing. The world is always driving us to covet. Inventions are, inventions are being made every day. May the Lord help us to be satisfied and to be at peace wherever we are. Knowing very well that nothing we brought into this world and truly, as he says, we will depart with nothing. Number four, number three, the conviction of Paul. You know, convictions are deep beliefs in our hearts. And those deep beliefs in our hearts, they eventually dictate how we live our lives. You are who you are as a result of what you believe. You do the things that you do, and I do the things that I do as a result of what is in my heart. We are a product of everything that we've seen, everything that we've allowed to settle in our hearts. And I see that Paul has serious convictions that are driving him. If you want to know how heavy this conviction thing is, Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 6, he says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And what the mouth speaks is eventually what we become. So please, Paul, here I sing, I'm seeing he's developed certain convictions. And I want to encourage us here today. Will you please develop convictions around the things of God? If you prefer faith in God, will we be in that place that we're saying, this is what I live for. And if I'm a Christian, that which I live for must be consistent with that which God expects of me. You know, convictions is like the true north where we get our bearing. Today, the world has changed. And so on our phones, we can get maps and, 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 and Professor Ngoge, okay? In other places, it's called Google, Okay? can direct us to everywhere we want to go. But in the old days, where there was no information technology, if you are going towards a direction, all you needed to know, you could be in the vast oceans and seas. And you could actually get lost there. But you cannot get lost if you know the true north. And that true north should be the convictions that are in our hearts as a result of our being close to God, so that they are influenced by the things of God. What are those convictions? One of those, I have read it in verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things. I can do. It's a conviction that he has. And he's not saying I can do all things through my strength. Paul was by all means, a serious achiever. A Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a scholar. 
And so he could have said, I can do all things through my intellect. He's not saying that. That one he's thrown outside. He's saying, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Wonderful people of God. Outside of God, there is nothing good that can come out of us. Let me repeat it again. Outside of God, there is nothing good that can come out of us. And Paul says, as a conviction that I can do all things through Jesus Christ that gives me strength. The other conviction that I see that he has developed in verse 18, he's saying, I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. In other words, where he is, yes, the Philippians, they have given to him. But he just sees this as a sacrifice, as a God-enabled people that are participating in his life and the challenges that he's facing in his life. And therefore he says that this, whatever comes, is a sacrifice, a, a good of the fragrance that is offered to God. That's another conviction that he has. The third conviction that he has is this. Verse 19. And he's saying, because of what he has seen, he's saying, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. Paul knew that God is the owner of everything. God is the maker of the heavens and the earth. And the conviction that he has is this. It's almost as Luke says, give and it shall come back to you. Remember he's also saying earlier on, uh, he's concerned that whatever they are giving is so that they are credited. So one of those convictions is this, that Paul is saying, that if you acknowledge the giver, the giver will give you more. If you acknowledge the blesser, the blesser will bless you more. Today, we've turned things around. And we applaud the blessings. And we don't want to acknowledge the blesser. So the conviction of Paul, as I see here, is this. Please, everything that happens is as a result of being enabled by God. I want you to note this. I know we have quoted this verse many times. And that I know that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in? Please look at the context. This was being told to a caring people. This was being told to a very generous people. I really don't think the same can be said to a stingy. <laughs> no, a miser. <laughs> it's within a context that if you give, it will be given back to you. And I pray that we learn to quote it. We cannot be the stingiest person. <laughs> Someone that does not care about others. Someone that is not concerned about uh, the affairs of others. And still courageously and with conviction quote this verse that I know the Lord shall supply 
all your needs according to his. Now, those people, they are probably the people that know how to make their ways. And even when they do it, it comes through ways that are not approved of God. The conviction of Paul is this. That if you are a giver, the Lord, in his own divine wisdom, will supply all your need according to his riches in glory. And one thing that I've learned, even those that give, they don't necessarily give out of plenty. No. For if you do not know how to give one shilling out of ten shillings, friends, if you get a billion, if you get a billion, a hundred million will be too much to give. So whatever you have, and that's what Paul is saying, be content. And the principle applies. Learn to give when, yes, you're building up. Then it becomes a culture. But the conviction that I see, believe that God can help us do all things. Believe that when it is given, it's ultimately given to God. But also that God is a provider, especially for those that have learned the art of giving. And so as we conclude today, may the Lord help us to show genuine concern for those in our fellowship and in our church. May the Lord help us to show genuine concern to those that are by his grace is allowed to lead us. May the Lord help us to show genuine concern for his work and for his ministry so that through that giving, others can know that there is a God who cares. And I thank you for those that do that. May the Lord help us to be content and to be satisfied with what he has given us, however little, however much, and to know that we came into this world with nothing. And yes, when the time comes for departure, we will live absolutely with nothing. May the Lord help us to develop deep convictions in him and in him alone. That we are guided by him. That our lives are guided by his truth. And when we do so, it does not matter where we are. You can be in prison like Paul was. And yet, one of those lessons that you hear here is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That rejoicing is despite of the circumstances. That rejoicing is coming from the deep down of our hearts. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. May the Lord bless us. And may the Lord bring, bring us so close to him. That every single thing that we do. Every single thing that we say. Every single move that we make. Are embedded on the fact that in him we live. In him we move. And in him we have our being. In the name of God who is the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you very much. Thank you very much uh, as we go. And so wonderful people as uh, you go I pray that the Lord bless you, that the Lord keep you, that the Lord make his face to shine upon you, that the Lord be gracious to you. That will experience the blessings and the favor of the Lord this week. And the Lord will bless you as you go out. And that the Lord will bless you as you come in. 
that the Lord will bless you in the city and that the Lord will bless you in the land. As you travel to different places, that you see the favor and the protection of the Lord. That you see God's favor in your places of work, God's favor in your businesses, in your families and everything that you'll do this week. For this is my prayer for you and over you. In the name of God who is the Father and who is the Son and who is the Holy Spirit. And we all said, said we all said, Amen. Amen. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.